Well, hey, Northside, great to see you here in the morning. Always a thrill to be able to get here in the, in the early one, the people that really dive in early. And coffee has kicked in, I think, already on everybody. Yeah. Well, great to see you, everybody. And we continue in this series. We want to take a moment to welcome uh, the folks in the video venue here at the 945. Would you make sure they feel really welcome? Glad to have you guys in the house with us. And we continue in this series, the series of Thrill of Hope that Nate began a couple of weeks ago, talking about uh, the presence of God. Last weekend was the power of God. And all throughout this Christmas series, this weekend is patience. And I remember asking him, I said, Nathan, are you sure? Do I have to preach on patience? Could I opt for another one? Because has anybody ever prayed for patience and then found out it was a little more than you thought? God sends some stuff. He does. And so anyway, it's been a, a little bit of a time that uh, to think exactly exactly what God wants to do in our life. But this weekend is all about patience. Next week, as Sam mentioned, Christmas weekend is going to be such an incredible opportunity for us to worship and honor the Lord and invite other people to come and be a part of that. It's all about the peace that he gives us. The thrill of hope is filled with the peace of God. And then we end the year with promise. So it's going to be a great time together. Uh, I, I think, though, uh, I have a few questions I just want you to take your time with. Uh, and really, I thought, okay, there's so much I could talk about patience, but if I preach too long, that's going to try your patience pretty quickly. So I'll, I'll try to get to the point, kind of like the, uh, uh, the immortal quote of Smokey and the Bandit, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, okay? <laughs> so we'll dive in on that real quickly. And it begins with a question to simply ask yourself and to think about what does patience look like? Honestly, and then before we take a moment and look in Scripture to see what this patience really looks like, I don't know, has anybody ever seen the uh, comedian, he passed away a few years ago, John Panette. Anybody ever catch John Panette? Okay, he's a really funny kind of guy. He's the one who really brought out a lot of the humor about the frustration we have in lines. Let's take a moment and say, honestly, a time of confession for the 945, all right? Which I'm sure if you get up this earlier, you're 30% more spiritual than most people, all right? How many have ever struggled by being in line, having to wait, waiting in line? And he goes through his whole routine, and he simply says he has trouble at fast food, has trouble at coffee shops, and he has trouble at grocery stores. He said, the problem at fast food is I hate standing behind somebody at McDonald's, and they look at the menu. And he says, I want to say, hey, it's been the same thing since you were six years old. Just order off that. KFC, the same thing. They got chicken, and they got chicken. That's it. He said, I went to Dairy Queen one time. The guy in front of me, he said, how big is a small? He said, if you have to ask how big a small is, you're not hungry enough. Get out of the line, you know. <laughs> he goes on, talks about coffee shops. He said, with all due respect to Starbucks, he says, I always go there, but there is such a long line at Starbucks. He said, I got to go to Dunkin' Donuts just to sip on coffee to stay awake to get my coffee at Starbucks. And he says, I really don't mind the lines, although most of us have always struggled a little bit in a grocery line. You're counting their line, and hey, you got more than 15. How'd you get in that line? But he says, I'm really fine, even with the lady in front of me who says I've got a coupon. It's when she says I've got a coupon somewhere. That's, that's what's frustrating. So all of us have been frustrated at different times from lines and waiting, and, and sometimes it tries our patience. To understand the biblical view of patience, Please know that patience stays put. I talked with uh, Neil this, this last week, Wyndham. Love Neil, have for years. What a tremendous uh, heart and wealth of understanding Scripture. And he was help, helping give me some words from the Greek language that have all this implication of patience. It stays put. 
Patience waits. It anticipates. It yearns and it learns. It longs, it hungers, it listens, and it trusts. Now today I want to suggest if you and I want to take a good look at patience, go right to the scripture and see. And we'll go through quite a few scriptures today. And they'll, they'll appear on the screen. Even if the whole thing doesn't, you'll at least get the reference on that. Because in the beginning of the Bible, you got God creating the heavens and the earth. And all that is within that. Then here comes Adam and Eve. And then here comes sin. And I, I look and I think, how in the world could God be so patient? Because immediately after sin comes in and he's handing out the curses in the Garden of Eden for the effects of that sin, all of a sudden in Genesis 3.15, it's what I would call the immediate prophecy of sending a Savior. I mean, it's all like, almost like the forbidden fruit hasn't even hit the ground yet uh, of sin entering in the world and God, as he hands out the curse to the devil, you're going to crawl on your belly, eat dust. And here's the, here's the kicker, though. He said, they'll come the seed of the woman. In other words, I will save humanity through humanity. Not by humanity, through humanity. And he says, you will, you will strike his heel. But he will, anybody remember, crush your head. It'll be a, a fatal blow. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Was he, he took care of our sin. He destroyed the power of sin there. And by raising from the dead on Easter, on Resurrection Day, he, he overcame death. So God begins in this patient way saying, it's going to take a lot longer than I thought, but I'm going to begin that process. You look at 1 Corinthians 13, and at most weddings you will hear this quoted, love is patient, it's kind, not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude, not irritable, keeps no record of wrongs. Now, Paul says patience became personal for him because in his account, 1 Timothy 1.16, he talks about how God called him, even though he was very far away from God, he thought he was serving God greatly. He said, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Now, he's just not beating himself up for no reason. He killed Christians. He left families husbandless and fatherless, just because a man was a believer, he would have them stoned in his form of, of, of Jewish uh, aggression, thinking he was doing what was right. And he said, so when God got a hold of me, he picked the worst. He's patient. He's literally saying, if he's going to be patient with me, he's going to be patient with anybody. Remember years ago, Nathan was in college and he had a chance to preach on a, uh, representing the school, the Bible college where he was at in, in camp. And, and we were talking on the phone. He said, Dad, I got to talk about the will of God. Uh, you got any thoughts and ideas on that? I said, well, it, it's, you know, everybody gets a little weird on that. I wonder what he wants me to do today. I wonder what he wants me to do in this next moment. I said, but please remember this verse, Nathan. 2 Peter 3, 9. Here's what God's will is. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for our sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. That's the will of God, is that not only all of us here today come to a point of faith and repentance and trust in his son, but all of your family and all the people that you have an influence on, that is his will. He wants people to come to a knowledge and a point of salvation and trust. So, if that's his will, what can I do about that? 
How can I join in that will? How can I partner with that mission? Now, the next question is, what, what did it look like for the ones who prophesied about Christmas as, as prophets and even for the angels? I've always wondered about that. How patient did the angels have to be if they knew Jesus was coming to the earth, all right, any moment now, and they had nine months to rehearse on this whole thing before they sang for the shepherds on the hillside and just acknowledged joy to the world, the Lord has come. What was it like for those who wrote? Here's what Paul says in Galatians 4. He says, when the time, right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. God says, you matter so much to me, I'm going to wait till the right time. And in the Old Testament, people had to wait and wait and wait. Now, listen to what Peter says. He says, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about. Now, think about that with me for just a second. In other words, Isaiah in the Old Testament and the other prophets, as they're writing about, saying how the Messiah will come, they were writing down as God moved through his spirit, and they would write those things down, but they didn't fully understand every implication. I'm not sure that Isaiah had a complete full picture. He was just saying what God told him to say, and he would find out more later on when he talks about how he was wounded for our sinfulness by his stripes were healed. I don't know if he had a full picture of Jesus on the cross, but he knew that God was prompting him hard during that time. This was something the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about his gracious salvation prepared for you. It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. They had to be patient. You and I sometimes struggle when we don't know exactly what's going to happen next. I'm the same way as you are. You know, I, I kind of wonder, okay, what's going to happen? And God says today at, at Christmas season, they had to wait too. The prophets were in on it a little bit, and the angels are in on it a little bit. I think they're going to be excited to see how God actually plays everything out. Oh, they'll have a little bit of awareness, but, but he enjoys, I think, a surprise. He certainly has in my life, and he bet he ha I bet he has in your life too. So how do we find this motivation and inspiration? Where are some of the patient heroes all throughout the Bible? You could name quite a few, and I'll try to name just a few. Noah was a great guy. I mean, he had to preach for 100 years building a boat in his front yard to people who, who really, they didn't want to know. They didn't want to follow all that. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Of the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham had this relationship that demanded patience and, and follow me. You know, I'm not going to tell you where you're going, Abraham. Just follow me and hang on and, and it'll be quite a ride. You see, Joseph in the Old Testament, not Joseph and Mary, but Joseph the son, the favorite son of Jacob. And you see how he had betrayal in his life. His brothers hated him. They, they uh, sold him into slavery. And then he was falsely accused of making a pass at his boss's wife, wound up in prison, but you don't hear him whine. You don't hear him complain. I'm reading that story thinking he's got to lose it at some point and, and just say, I'm done with this, and almost shake his fist at God and say, if you're going to leave me out here and hang me out to dry, God, I don't know if I want to go through all this. But no, he didn't do that. He trusted, and he patiently waited, even though when he was in prison. Deborah, a, a tremendous, great judge, in the book of Judges, 
willing to, to wait patiently for the opportunity. And then when God says, I need you to go along with the general in battle, because he doesn't want to go into battle without you because you represent my presence and my blessing, she dives right in. She waited patiently. If you know the story of Esther in the Old Testament, oh, goodness, it's an incredible story. It has so many quotable lines. She's a Jewish girl who wins a Persian beauty contest, all right? She's a write-in ballot, okay? Probably wanted world peace. Little did she know she was about to help bring some of that, okay? I know. We'll, we'll keep working that, all right? Didn't fly last night either. I don't know why I tried it again, okay? So all of a sudden, she finds herself in a position of influence, and her cousin, who is like an adopted uncle Mordecai, who's in the Persian uh, government, when he hears of the threat to, to God's people by a guy named Haman, a pre-Hitler fella, he tells her. He doesn't push her. He just says, uh, who knows, Esther? Anybody know that phrase? Why you have come to royalty for such a time as this. Would you say that? For such a time as this. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, for such a time as this. Turn back and say, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Okay. But we, we all have to look in those moments if we're patient for such a time as this. And I'm telling you, if you can go through your life and we can encourage and help one another go through our lives realizing that maybe I'm right where I need to be, even though it's not where I want to be. <laughs> but God has me right here. Esther was patient. She waited for the right time to tell the king. She did, just didn't rush because it was against the law. And the other quotable in the story of Esther, she says, okay, Mordecai, I'm hearing you loud and clear. Even though he dequeened the last gal, that's how I'm here. He got rid of her because she was just a little bit too much telling him what to do probably. And she says, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. But before I do that, I'm going to fast with my ladies' Bible study over here. My handmaidens, they fasted for three days. She said, then I'll go and I'll talk to the king. And if I perish, I perish. Yeah. Patient, passionate, following God. Job the poster boy of patience. He waited for God to speak. Got some bad marital advice he didn't act on, fortunately. I mean, lost, lost the kids in a terrible storm, lost the livestock, lost all of his wealth. Then he loses his health. He gets boils atop of his head, bottoms of his feet, to the bottom of his feet. And his wife, in a comforting way, says, <laughs> why don't you just curse God and die? Just Pull the pen. Just get out of here. Let it go. He'd already told her and defined the moment after such a great loss before his health went. He said, and I bet you could say it with me, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return to the earth. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now, if he would have stopped there, it would have just simply been easy come, easy go. But he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I remember the song we used to sing, oh, oh, five, six years ago. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You get to the bridge, past the verse, past the chorus, you get to the bridge of the song, and it just simply says, you give and take away. You give and take away. Then, then the phrase, 
my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. See, that, that's a defining moment. Our circumstances don't define us. They only reveal us. We get to define who we are and who he is. And talk about those who were patient. Now, there were some that struggled. Moses, godly man, patient man, but he had a little bit of a bad moment and he misrepresented God to people in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, I thought for a long time, okay, you're not supposed to get mad and if you do get mad, don't hit anything. That's what I thought the problem was. That wasn't the problem. God wasn't mad and disappointed in Moses because he got mad. It was in this moment of representing God with the staff that he had given him and, and says, okay, when you touch that rock, water's going to come out. And in that moment, Moses, you're me. In that moment, you represent me so strongly. And rep, rather than represent God as gracious and patient and gentle and, and, and touching the rock and letting the water come, they're still going to get a drink. They're still going to get the water. But Moses just kind of, he tees off, you know, bam, hits that thing. He was mad. We could take a little time to talk about all the things he was mad about, but we won't. That, that would keep us here a long time, and it would test your patience if I go that direction. So I'll stay here, okay? But Moses had this moment of impatience. Saul, he was impulsive as a prophet and king. He wasn't a prophet. He, he took on that role. He says, look at the time. Samuel's not here. we got to get this thing started. i got to do my deal. He's not here. I'm going to do his. And he impatiently thrust himself into doing what God hadn't called him to do. David took what wasn't his in an impatient, impulsive moment. Instead of him just saying, you know what, I don't feel too close to the few wives I got, but my neighbor's wife is awful pretty. A moment of indiscretion that plagued from the circumstances that came about, consequences after that from 2 Samuel 12. Solomon, great, wise leader. But if you know the whole commentary in 1 Kings chapter 11, he was impatient with the commands of God. God said, don't intermarry. God's fine with any form of ethnicity blend. He doesn't care about that. And I can see it all in Scripture. He celebrates that. It's wonderful. But he says, don't mix faith and non-faith. Don't mix an allegiance to me and a calling by me with pagan idols in marriage because it won't work. And Solomon looked to heaven and pretty well said, make me. He insisted, the Bible says, on having all these political marriages and, and all that, that moment of impatience. And it leads to stubbornness and to rebellion. His pagan wives turned his heart away from God. Then there's the Martha Stewart moment in the New Testament. Just, sorry, just checking again. And Martha, just, she's just a little impatient. And she's doing all the hard work and, and, and says, come on, Lord, you should, you should have Mary help me out here over here. And Mary's just listening carefully. Just a moment of impatience. Always remember that anytime you start your prayer with, to, to the Lord saying, hey, 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 <laughs> it's not going to go well, Okay. Just, just, just wait. She, she just got a little impatient. Let the wrong thing become the most important thing. Now, think with me. What kind of questions do we ask ourselves when we're impatient? Let, let's say uh, I remember the days on Grant Line. Anybody remember when we'd be stopped by a train? Okay. 
All right, there'd be train kind of, have to wait a little while. Uh, we lived in Danville, Illinois for five years in the 80s. Al Capone said uh, back in the day he would never rob a, a bank in uh, Danville, Illinois because the whole town is just uh, railroad tracks all the way around it. At least once a week, we got stopped by a train. And, and it, maybe when you, if you've ever done that, you've maybe thought, okay, is there a way to get around this thing where I can kind of beat everybody? I don't want to fly through the thing if it's coming, but I, if there's a side way. I think the first question we say, number one, how long is this going to take? And we assess the damage in our life and say, all right, this is going to throw everything off. It's going to make me late for that. What can I do to make this all work out? Now, with the age of cell phones and all that, we got communication pretty quick, and we can solve a lot of that. But sometimes we just don't want to be put out. The second question is, how do we get here when we begin to place blame and, and think? And once you begin to do that, it's going to take you away from a life of patience. But the third one is, is it worth the wait? And we strategize the next move. And sometimes we make a bad choice on wondering if it's worth the wait. That's why in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, heaven honoring God is worth the wait. Say that with me. It's worth the wait. Verse 18, he says, yet what we suffer now, the things you're going through, I'm going through, things we've went through, is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. A little equation is FG is greater than PS. Our future glory is greater than our present suffering. If there was something I could do, if you're getting weary and well-doing right now to encourage you in any way spiritually that I possibly could, I would say beyond the hang in there, but, but the, the honesty of, of the fact that the, the future glory that we have, the promise that we have from God of being with him and those who've gone before us who had a faith in him that will be reunited with one day or seeing us through the difficult time of what remains in this year, the future glory with him is far greater than the present suffering you and I will have to go through. And then Paul starts to give them a little information and reminds them in verse 22, he said, remember that all creation longs for redemption. Way back when the curse happened and the weeds popped up, uh, the whole world is longing for redemption. 23, he says, we long for a release for our bodies from sin and suffering. It's not just all of creation. It's every one of us as we age and as we realize the, the temporal nature of our, our humanity and our, our lifespan. We long to be delivered from sin, delivered from suffering. He goes on, verse 24, please know that we have this hope that was given at our salvation. The hope that you have in Christ, you received when you trusted him. You see, I, I love this thrill of hope series that, that Nate came up with. I love, it's, it's, it's not only just from a great Christmas carol, you know, Oh Holy Night. It's, it's, hope by its very nature is thrilling. And you and I have to let the hope we have in Christ be thrilling or return us to the thrill of that if we've lost it. Same thing about grace. Grace by its very nature is amazing. Or as my buddy Dave from, from England says, amazing. You know, he says all the time. It, it is. Grace will always be amazing and hope when we hold on to it will always be thrilling. He says in verse 25, if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently, and it just means that we have to hold on and let God do what he's going to do. 
So what are the basics and the sequence we need to, to understand here? Okay, what happens? And if you're writing anything down, this would kind of be your one, two, three, four of the whole thing. The first thing is our faith must be present. Say that with me. Our faith must be present. In other words, you've got to make sure that your belief is solid in God, in his word, in his son Jesus who died in our place, and, and allowing his spirit to work in us and through us all of our lives this side of heaven. Hebrews 11.6 says, it's impossible to, impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to him, he must believe that God exists and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You've got to have your faith as solid as a rock. Now, the second thing is, once your faith in him is solid, then your hope can be placed. We look later on and we see in, in, in verse 35, the last half of that verse, he talks about all the, the great people of faith, many that we already mentioned a little while ago who did great and, and trusted God and were patient. And they didn't receive what they'd hoped yet, but they will someday. He said they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. And we live in a world today that does not place its hope in after this life. They, they want to have that experience now. And they would rather discount. They, they place their hope in, in, in other things, kind of like Final Jeopardy. You ever seen somebody who's been behind the whole game, but they got enough money to bet and they win the whole thing in Final Jeopardy? And they just they, they happen to answer one question right. A lot of people today play Final Jeopardy. And on that, their answer is, either I'm betting there is no God, or I'm betting that he grades on the curve. How many made it through high school? Thank God for that bell curve, all right? Yeah, I mean, they, they hope that maybe he's, he's just going, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I don't want to change the way I live, but at least I'm not that bad. Our hope has to be in him, not in the health and wealth, not in the me or you, not in the now and then, but our hope has to be in him alone. Our faith has to be present. Our hope has to be placed in Jesus and what he did. If your faith is flaky, <laughs> your hope is shaky. Too much Johnny Cochran, I know, all right? <laughs> but if you and I don't resolve that in our life at Christmas time and realize this is, this is the time of hope, it's the time of peace, it's the time of joy, but that hope that we have has to be firmly placed in Jesus. Not that everything goes good in this life, because most likely it won't. When we have that, our patience can be practiced. In other words, we can allow the Spirit of God to work in us and enter into a disciplined lifestyle, allowing that to happen. Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and coming in last in my life and most everyone else's self-control. But it's in there, and there's no law against these things for us to practice. That's the blessing of community. I need help practicing, letting the Spirit bring these things in my life, and it will come from you and those close to me. You will need help doing that. We all need help. That's the beauty of, of that. We get to, to practice and, and let the fruit of God's Spirit work in our life. And after that happens, then contentment comes in. And contentment has to be perfected. You've got to give contentment time. 
I think sometimes one of the verses that's kind of misapplied in in life or or taken a little out of context is Philippians 4.13. And if you back up to chapter, in the same chapter, verse 12, you'll, you'll see what it says. I know how to live, Paul says, on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now he's just said before that, I can do without everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can survive anything through Christ who gives me strength. With all due respect to winning the sectional and the World Series and any other major accomplishment, great, good for you. God gives us the strength to do all that. But Paul says it's in the context of contentment. Our faith, our hope, our patience, our contentment. To let him have that perfect work in us. Now, last thing. You always know what that means when a preacher says, last thing. Doesn't mean a thing. Okay. <laughs> it means he's trying. It means he's trying. Okay. Think with me. What happens in your life and mine while we wait patiently? Are we marking time? You know? Just hearing the drum in the background, market time, not going anywhere. Or are we getting bored or what's happening? Let me suggest today, while we're waiting patiently, while we investigate and say, God, I'm going to dive in here, he can cultivate. Let me explain. In Acts 17, the church of Berea, the Bible says they look through the scriptures in the Old Testament and they're just looking at the scrolls, making sure what Paul and Barnabas was telling them about Jesus was true. You and I can investigate and look deep and study and learn so much while we're waiting for God to move or give us permission. Now, it also, I think, implies that he can cultivate something in your heart and life. In Isaiah 40, it says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up like wings of eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. That word in the Hebrew language for wait is very similar to a word called, that's also translated weave. So many, many folks in the Old Testament culture would understand that the weave and the wait, it wasn't always hand in hand, but it just sounded so familiar and similar that they could easily put that together. I remember when her oldest granddaughter, Bella, was here uh, with, with Rachel. They were back from Romania. She was only three years uh, old at the time. And uh, we're down at Sam Peden Park and swinging. I'm pushing her. And I just kind of go, whee, you know, just a little kid like that. And she, uh, the nickname for me is Boo Boo. It's Bunique. And Grandpa in Romania, she's Boo Boo, Boo Boo, louder. Whee, you know, Louder. Whee! And as loud as I can, Rachel comes on over and said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, ah, she wants it louder. I don't know. She said, no, she's confused because the word in Romanian for, for higher also means it, it can, right next to louder. <laughs> I'll be over here, you know. I don't know how I got that wrong. And, and so, okay, now, Bella, tell me, tell me what it really means on that. We can weave those things together. And that's, that's the implication even within the language. As you wait, as you wait, God weaves things into your heart. Now, while we articulate, all right, and while you're waiting, you can be thinking through. 
For many of us who go to a doctor's office, have to wait for a few minutes or wherever it might be, you haven't slowed down until then. I know, I've been there. And I just slow down for a minute and you can blow the time looking at your phone or maybe in a magazine or you can just think for a second and, and see what, what all this is coming up. When, when we articulate, he can orchestrate. In John chapter four, the woman at the well, she'd had some time to think. She'd had some failed marriages. She was pretty much left alone by most of society. She had time to articulate. She had great faith. So when she had the opportunity to talk to Jesus, they pick up on this dialogue and he reveals to her because she got it. She ends this part of her discussion with saying, well, all this stuff is really neat. I learned a lot from you today if you're a prophet, but I'll just wait till the Messiah shows up and he'll straighten this whole thing out. And Jesus says, that would be me. Beautiful talk. But she had articulated her faith. You and I might need to do that right now. And then he can orchestrate our path. He directed her path that day. In Romans 8, Paul says, God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, the last one here is while we fascinate, if you will. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, I love what it says about Mary. Mary, an angel visit, all these things, birth of Jesus. She gathered these things together. She treasured them in her heart. She pondered on them. She fascinated at the work and the will and the grace and the blessing of God. We need to do that. It's an old hymn I remember growing up. It's tucked away. Nobody sings it anymore. I haven't heard it in years. Called Love Divine All Loves Excelling. Joy from heaven to earth come down. It's kind of real formal, high churchy kind of a thing. Needs a pipe organ in the background on that. And in the very last phrase of that, that, that old hymn, it says, lost in wonder, love and praise. How do you get lost in wonder? You wonder. You fascinate over the things God has done. And that's what she did. And while we're waiting patiently, fascinate over the mighty things of God. I love the old hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Or probably one that's in the top ten in heaven. Oh, Lord, my God. Say the words with me if you know them. When I in awesome wonder... Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul. See, we, when we fascinate and wonder and get lost in the wonder of God, it's amazing. Remember this song, Christmas song? Oh, goodness, about 30 years ago it was written, Mary, Did You Know? I love that, written by Buddy Green, Mark Lowry, and they just were wondering, what, would, what did Mary need to know? Does she even know? Can she even imagine all of that? I remember several years ago, we had a couple of musical things switch around, and we needed a little something special, and we wanted to involve the congregation and everybody on a Christmas Eve service a little differently, and I thought, okay, we need to, do, we need to write something. And, oh, how about, how about something of Joseph's perspective on, on all of this? You know, if it's a Mary, did you know? Joseph, did you know? But mine came out a whole lot different. 
okay? Well, I was running down the road trying to loosen my load. Got a pregnant woman on my mind. Marry my fiance. Sings just like Beyonce. Got to get to Bethlehem on time. You know, it didn't really fly that good. But I was proud of, well, I'm standing on a corner in Upper Macedonia. Such a fine sight to see. It's a star so bright on a pitch dark night. Shining right down on me. Okay, that's enough of that one, all right? Please, oh, please, don't encourage, don't encourage that. You see, when I wonder, I wander. I got to make sure I don't wander off on all that. But just take time to wonder. When you wonder. When you stand amazed in his presence, when you fascinate, he can renovate. He renovates your heart. Isaiah 43, long ago, God says, I want to make everything new in your heart and your life as a, per, as a people, as a nation. You fast forward all the way to Revelation and see what Jesus says. Behold, I make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there's going to be renovation. Now, right now in our service is our time of communion. We remember the Lord's Supper. It is a time of wonder. It is a time of fascination. And as Jesus' close friends came together for that holy defining moment, I'm sure they were a little confused. Isn't this typical Passover? Wait a second. He's breaking the bread, giving it a... a it to each of us. And he's saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And as you do, remember me. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he passed the cup around. Take and drink it. And when you do, Remember me. May we fascinate and wonder at the mighty love of God right now as we celebrate the bread and the juice.